and welcome to Sideburns and Cigarettes, a Lupin the Third podcast, a podcast about a monkey-faced thief, his friends, and their many adventures. We are covering all of the animated and live-action entries in the Lupin the Third franchise in mostly chronological order, and folks, we have reached the penultimate episode of our reaction series to Part 6, Ladies' Night. And tonight we'll be covering Episode 23, the Memories of a Beloved Witch, written by Shigeru Morikoshi, and translated by friend of the show, Ian. Oh boy. So, let's not waste any time here. Natalie, how'd you feel about it? This is a big one. I was... I am confusion. But not real, But not like I'm super confused. Just, um... I kind of... You know, it's funny because one of our friends on Discord posted somebody, I, I wish I knew the person's name. Someone on Twitter half pointed out that they were going to go with the Manchurian Candidate subplot. And I read I read their posts and it made a lot of sense. And in a, and in a sense, it kind of spoiled the episode for me, but not like I knew what was going to happen. Just more like, oh, it makes a lot more sense now. Holy shit. So with so on that note, I I I do like it. M my thing is, I'm surprised that in the 50 years that Lupin has been an anime, and you know the 50 plus years that it's been a franchise, how have we not gone the sleeper agent route with Lupin? Especially hmm. when you consider the fact that one of one of the classic, you know, the classic trope of the sleeper agent. Um, originally started out in um you know it, it was a product of the cold war and um you have stuff like the eponymous film the manchurian candidate um which was actually a book and then it was a film and then you know you have the terrible remake in 2004 but you have other films and other um other um other pieces of, of media that go with this uh, with this trope of like sleeper agents i mean obviously I was also thinking of um, um, Captain America Civil War with Bucky Barnes, but also um, um, Black Widow. But yeah, how is it that 50 years in the Lupin franchise, we have yet to do this thing of Lupin being possibly a sleeper agent? So Okay, so are you, are you talking about Lupin III himself? Or like, or like this thing hasn't happened before in the franchise? Lupin the Third himself, because here's the thing: okay. we've done in the franchise. There's been other things of like employing Lupin for certain for certain things. Because why wouldn't you want the world's most wanted and most clever and, and brilliant sure. thief on your team? Island Island of Assassins did it. Um, Tokyo Crisis almost, you know, cloned him. So it's like, how have we not gone Mono with Lupin being a sleeper agent? Well, I also think there's like there's an episode of the woman called Fujiko Mine that has Fujiko's a sleeper agent. Yeah. Except it turns out that it wasn't actually her memories. But that's a whole... That's a That's, a that's story another review for the podcast. But, like, yeah. Lupin himself, how have we not? And, and, I, and I do love it. Mm -hmm. it, it, it. It went on above and beyond the creeper route, especially because, like, I think some of the, the scenes that just tugged in my heartstrings was, like, you know, we talked about this when Lucy was on the show of, like, how Jigen and Guaymon have changed. Like Jigen's no longer this trope of the Onigarai, um, and he's and then there's going on with the found family aspect. So like them trying to like bring back Lupin, it's like oh, mm -hmm. and then Fujiko kissing him to try to bring him back. Oh, it's like 
<laughs> it just really tugged at my heartstrings. And then, of course, Tomoe. I do not buy it that she's Lupin's real mom. I, I, I don't buy it at all. I, I think this is just another, you know, lie that she's using. Because, again, like, I was talking about this with my roommates because they're not watching the show. So I had to explain it to them. And my roommate, Maria, brought up, you know, she brought up a valid point. She was like, why would this woman have Lupin as a sleeper agent? And I'm like, why not? Again, why not have Lupin as a sleeper agent? There, that's it. Sorry, I didn't mean to go on the full on explanation right now. But... Oh, no, that's fine. Ah! <laughs> it's a lot to take in and a lot to talk about. So <laughs> can't blame you. So, Chris, how are you feeling about it? Speaking of a lot to talk about, <laughs> I did the impossible. I took notes this time. Like, a shit ton of notes. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I'll probably skip over some of this stuff. Um, you know, I like that Zenny uh, got to open this episode by doing some more, like, the typical detective work. Yeah, I feel like that's not something we get to see from him a lot. Um, I have written down here, Ari, unwilling instigator of doom. <laughs> also, the music when, uh, you know, when Lupin's, like, I don't know, hypnotism or whatever is triggered. The background music sounds, feels a lot like the woman called Fujiko Mine. Mm. Yeah. As a matter of fact, I feel like the whole episode does. Yeah. You know, it's like as far as like the tone, the aesthetics, the story, the music, it feels like a watered down version of that series. I feel like we got to give props to uh, Korea's performance, you know, as, uh, as Killer Lupin in this. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah. And the whole thing with Matia com- showing up would have been a whole lot cooler if the animation was better. Um, now, I don't know if you guys uh, noticed this. I mean, you probably did, and I was probably the last one to notice, but the uh, the flashback to uh, Tomoe talking to uh, Lupin and like putting him into the trance or whatever, there's a fedora hanging on the rack behind him. Yep. It, it looks like Zenigata's. Mm-hmm. Actually, that was more... That looked like Jigen's fedora. And then well, you also see Zentetskin... Okay, and the cards. So, well, could I also say, like, when, uh, later when, uh, you know, Child Lupin is doing his magic tricks, he seems to be doing it with Jigen's hat. Mm-hmm. Mm. So that's why I'm thinking the one on the rack maybe pops. Is, maybe then he got us. That sounds better. And then as you point out, yeah, Lupin, you know, Kid Lupin, not his actual child, who was called that. But Lupin Can we, can we just call it Lupin Babby? <laughs> Lupin the Brat. But... <laughs> If they if they ever have a prequel to Lupin the Third, they should just call it Lupin the Brat. <laughs> uh, the manga called it Lupin the Third of the early years. Yeah, but Lupin the Brat sounds way more marketable. <laughs> I'd pick that shit up. I mean, well, I mean, that's actually a pretty dis- description of Lupin the Third's actual son in the manga. <laughs> mm-hmm. He is a brat. Also, when uh, Jigen is talking to uh, what's his name, uh, Moran or Moran, I heard it as Moran. I did too. It's like that's not, that, that's, not, that's not really all that relevant to the episode, but it reminds me of uh, when we did our Christmas special, how Jay was talking about uh, Gerald Moran, and mm-hmm. he calls him Gerald Moron at one point because he wasn't <laughs> sure how to pronounce it. Um, let's see. Uh, Mercedes shows up again. She looks hotter than she did before some for some reason. Mm. I have written it down here. Moriarty. Who cares? Mm. Um. That was um, 
not to cut you off, but that was interesting that I completely just forgot to brush upon. But like, why the fuck is the is is baby Moriarty back? I am so confused. I, I, I have thoughts. I, I guess they're just I'll trying to, to tie it. to tie to tie everything in. No matter Probably, how, no matter but, how dumb it is, they got to tie it all together. But up um, top Prince looking motherfucker, like <laughs> I'll throw him. <laughs> Me too. Let's go to the Russian back falls and just throw him. Fitting. <laughs> and come back Against this the Kogiyom, if you're a child. <laughs> yeah, if you're a child, the fall would be longer. <laughs> that was Guillaume, not me. <laughs> I like it. Um, let's see. Fujiko's ins- insistence of finding Lupin or slapping him is rather touching in a Amusing way. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, I have written down here. Huzzah! The SSK returns. Finally. <laughs> I know. I miss that car. I love that car. Like, no offense. I, I, I'm not. I get the Fiat is more iconic, and it's more like it, it's more. How do you call it? Um, it works more for heists. I feel, but god damn that SSK. Am I right? I mean, it. It's like I've always. It's like I've always said. I like the Fiat in the castle of Cagliostro. And also in Plot of the Fuma Clan. Or the Fuma Conspiracy, whatever the hell they're calling it now. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I like it there because, you know, because like Lupin III is, you know, he's older, he's more mature, uh, you know, he's more practical. That's the word, practical. Yeah. Which we also see when he's like a, trying to light his rockets, he's trying to get into like Therese's tower. How is he just like a cheap disposable lighter? Yeah, like for like the actual TV series, I'm or really everything besides those two movies, I'm just not a big fan of the Fiat. Mm. So, I I like seeing the SSK return. Even yeah, I like more the SSK like, and the Alfa Romeo. Like those are yeah, those exactly. are the cars That's, that I love. Mm. Right, same here. Um, I like how we get some context for the loop on the Edge Lord stuff from the mm-hmm. uh, from all the promo material. Took them yeah. I, I did think it's kind of funny though. Is that you know the, like the Edge Lord filter was applied to the first. Like to see almost the entire opening in the first half of the series, and then they got rid of it for this for this half. But now we actually have context for it. It's like it feels like this feels like it was misplaced. It was because they kept it <laughs> yep. for like the first half with the Lupin yeah. versus Sherlock arc, which made us right. kept thinking, okay, so Lupin is framed for murder. Big whoop! How does that count towards him being all edge lordy all of a right. sudden? And now the context. Now we're given the context better. And um, I, I, I laugh that they waited until the finale to kind of like show what they've been teasing. But right. again, the TMS has just been really good at edging this season. <laughs> sorry. Anyway. Sorry, children. Sorry, um, children. This is supposed to be a family show. <laughs> fuck out of here, kids. <laughs> this is an explicit rated podcast. I was going to say, you know, there's uh, there's a little E next to the title on Spotify. It's not E for everyone. I was uh, I was quoting Uncle Roger. Oh my god. Uh, Tomo is saying that uh, Arsene Lupin is wanting to be very controlling of his grandson. I feel like some people may seem that may find that out of character for him, and I think it is for LeBlanc's novels. But if you go back and you know, read Lupin's early adventures as a teenager in the manga. It's actually pretty, uh, it's actually not too far outside the realm of possibility. Mm-hmm. 
because Arsene Lupin was much less of a gentleman in his later years. Yeah, according to Monkey Punch, but not right. according to Maurice Leblanc. Right, right. So, is it just me, or is Tomoe hiding out in uh, the hideout from part one? Oh, yeah. You're not the only one who's brought that up. Okay, mm-hmm. okay. Because um, there's so many people on Twitter, including some you know, some of our good friends from um, Lupin Central, that have pointed out that um, that's the same building from part one. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I thought of the PyCal episode in particular. Mm-hmm. When uh, Matthias shoots Lupin, I'm surprised he didn't get shot through the back as a, another reference to Cagliostro. Yeah. I'm sorry. Yeah. I just I, I feel like I had to comment on TMS's tendency to call back to that movie. <laughs> hey guys, you remember Cagliostro? Oh, yeah. <laughs> Princess yeah, of the Breeze, remember Cagliostro? <laughs> You're making me wish I didn't. <laughs> <laughs> Still gonna watch that. Um, no, you I, don't. No, you don't. Yeah, yeah I do. <laughs> <laughs> no, you do. You do, and you'll regret it. But you got to see it. Yeah, exactly. It, it's it's better it's better with friends than it is with um Enemies, with randos. Shared trauma. Uh, but uh, <laughs> yes. But um, I have written down here that poor cute maid. Anyway, um, yeah. The, the thing about the poem, I I think it's a highlight of the episode for me. Like, I, I thought that was a really super cool and clever way of tying everything together so far. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and like, I like how Tomoe, her whole plot here hinges on Lupin being an omniglot. Is that an actual word? Or did I make it up? I think it's polyglot. It, well, I mean, like, omniglot. I think that would assume all languages, right? Or close to it. I like to think that Lupin doesn't know all languages, but just the base, like... But, the base just, ones that he would need for his travels. Right, right. Like, obviously Japanese yeah. and French, but like, and English, but also like all the romantic languages, Slavic languages, some African languages, Chinese, well, Cantonese and Mandarin. Like, I, I have written down here, like, I don't think that's, that's something that's ever been explicitly shown, but I feel like it's always been like assumed that he knows, you know, most languages. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah. Like, like going back to Cagliostro, like, He's able to read the uh, the inscription on the on the rings in Capron, which has been in a dead language for five hundred years. I also don't, I also don't think it's a real language, but still, I think Capron is kind of like a base of like Latin, like it's it's like yeah. another branch of Latin, right? What and, they were what they were coming up with, <laughs> right? And uh, you know, also in that same movie, he sends a uh, a note to the count in French. So, I mean, if you're going to reference Cagliostro like that, I'm okay with it. Yeah, um, and I feel like this thing about the poem is what our pal Ian was telling us on his episode, or an mm-hmm. episode he was guest starring on, where you he told us that uh, this was all going to tie in together later. Yeah, that's that was... the thing. He, he was um he was saying that he was like I remember he said that that like rewatch the episodes. There's going to be some kind of connectivity, and I'm like, wait, what? And I, and I was like, I thought it was in the title cards. He mentioned that it was going to be a line of dialogue, I believe. Yep. And it's just uh, it's so freaking cool. Oh, yeah. Um, also, Tomoe's smile when Lupin comes to the door, that is just creepy. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and, uh, Fucking marshmallow. <laughs> the Stay Puft Marshmallow Mom. <laughs> um, and on that note, I'm kind of iffy on whether or not she is Lupin's actual mother. Hmm. 
I think could go either way. Because I'm thinking that perhaps she believes that she is, but she's not. So she's gaslighting herself? Yeah, maybe. Or maybe she was misinformed. But at the same time, that would mean that they're doing the same fake out again. And they've already done it once. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But yeah, I'm, like, I'm not generally a fan of Lupin III getting this serious and gritty in the main series. But we are reaching the climax of the story arc, so I'll let it slide. Yeah. Because I didn't love this episode when I first watched it the other day. But seeing it tonight, though, I've, I've warmed up to it. Mm-hmm. Okay. That's, I've gone through my notes. That's my opinion. All righty. Well, the, the first thing before I get to like my, my thoughts in full, I've, I've just now stuck on your idea of like, you know, she was misinformed about Lupin being her son. Like, like, you know, Jigen shows up with like a birth certificate. It's like, no, no, no. Tomoe, your son's name was Louis, <laughs> not Lupin. Like, oh, so I killed all those people like for no reason. Yeah. For nothing. You're going to jail. <laughs> Yeah, it turns out, it turns out that the uh, kid's grandfather is Antonio Lewis. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> oh, shit. <laughs> but uh, oh, no, Arsenio Lewis. <laughs> That's perfect. Um, but oh, no, Lord. Um, <clears throat> I very much enjoyed this episode, especially as opposed to last week's, which, like... I enjoyed it well enough and I was torn on it, but I am much more negative on that episode than I was considering, you know, the, uh, the kind of graphic depiction of high school gun violence in it and the other subject matter that was touched upon. I was kind of relieved that this, that, well, I'm relieved that that didn't continue. And I'm also even more upset because that episode now just feels like cheap shock value compared to it. But anyway, I digress. Um, I really, um, I really appreciated the writing for the main gang in this, and it's already been touched upon. Just um, uh, that moment in particular when Lupin first turns, and both Jigen Goemon and Zenigata are like trying to pin him down because you got the world's greatest, most elusive thief who is now just on this. You know, he's dead set on this to them like mysterious destination or goal and is just fighting through them and like taking fatal like attempt trying to get fatal shots in on Jigen and Goemon and just that moment of of Jigen you know holding him close and saying you know like you know hey we're both partners like you know you remember that right and that that kind of broke my heart which and then, and then, then you know, Goemon. I'm sure what exactly Goemon said. Like, you know, do you? I think Goemon said, do "You like, you know, do you not remember us?" And it was just like, man, and just having Jigen, Goemon, and Fujiko just immediately band together with no hesitation to go help him was just a really nice kind of heartwarming element. Um, I am really happy that the one-offs. And again, I enjoyed the one-offs, like pretty much all of them in this, pretty much all of the one-offs in this half. But I like that they weren't just throw throwaway, as, you know, unrelated as they might seem. Having just that one key line of dialogue implanted into Lupin's head, like makes the makes this whole half worthwhile, whereas opposed to the Sherlock arc, which was just a lackluster story spread out by one-offs that were completely unconnected to each other in any way, shape or form, which was just a big total mess. Whereas this is like a nice, I hope they stick the well, landing. I mean, but they, it's were, nice. 
Well, go ahead. I mean, they, were, they weren't entirely unconnected. Like, they were connected by a very loose theme. Yeah. But I do agree with you that it's it's this film was done so much better. Yeah. Yeah, like, part one's throwaway episodes, like, they kept... I mean, I, what I mentioned, I've been re-listening to our episodes to get ready for the penultimate... For the penultimate. For the review that we're going to do of the series overall. Mm-hmm. And I admit that, like, one of the things I, I did talk about that I enjoyed about the one-offs, at least in you know in context with um the core storyline of lupin versus sherlock is that you know when the the gang decides to get out of dodge from london and you see the photos of them traveling there's justification for the one-offs it's not just like yeah okay we're gonna we're gonna like fuck with you over the main plot and then just show you some one-offs no they they did explain that they're going to step away from the main plot oh, yeah, to do yeah. these one-offs. And the only thing that also kept them was that most of the one-offs were set in London mm-hmm. or set in England, at least. I mean, like the train episode and um, killers in a diner, like they, they heck even Darwin's bird, which has nothing to do with Lupin versus Sherlock was set at the British museum. Yeah. So it's like, they kept up with that theme, but it still made no sense to the overall storyline. Yeah. They kept up with like just the setting. Mm-hmm. Whereas these episodes, they're they are all connected. Mm-hmm. So um it's not just throwaway one offs meant to edge us. No. Yeah, it's, it's there's something with it. It's like it it makes the one offs in this half a lot more meaningful. And like it, yeah. it, it makes me want to revisit this. If they stick to the landing, I would like I, I will re, I'll revisit this. You know, twelve episode chunk pretty often because it's had some mm-hmm. incredible. I mean, it's, the one offs have have had great writing, but Shigeru Morikoshi in particular, I love his writing for the main gang. Like he gets those characters yeah. at the very like and tone tonal issues aside, because I'll get on how I'm feeling about the tone later, but. Tone aside, Morikoshi understands the Lupin gang at their very core, which is uh, uh, even with Zenigata. Yeah. Zenigata has a small role in this episode, but he is a completely competent detective. One of, my, uh, yeah. one of my favorite moments was the moment with him and Mercedes in the prison where she is talking about uh, how Tomoe told her about the, uh, and the way she pronunci- pronounces it, the Puebla Magicos. And and you know Pueblo, Z- yeah Pueblo Magicos and then Zinigata kind of like sitting back and putting the pieces in his head together like you know Magicos there's a village in Japan called Magico calls Yata Yata confirms it. it it was nice to see him not be a total dipshit and the butt of the joke because like I wish mm-hmm. he would have gotten more screen time but when he does have screen time in this half he's fantastically written so I can't complain too much. I also, I don't think uh, Tomoe is Lupin's mother. I'm curious how it's going to resolve. Tomoe is even, well, again, I didn't like it, but the whole high school shooting thing already proved Tomoe to be pretty sinister. But we just kind of doubled down on how sinister she is with, as Chris mentioned, that poor maid where she's like explaining to Lupin. And you realize just how twisted she is where she's like telling Lupin, like, you know, oh, you know, this brave maid. Who, when I explain the whole situation, you know, she took my place, and you can see like she's like doing like you know the hypnotism, and the mage just yeah. blankly staring at her like Tomoe is a surprisingly sinister villain because I guess that's one complaint 
I have, again, here we go again with that checklist. Enzo is a completely uninteresting, unthreatening, boring villain, whereas Tomoe is completely threatening and absolutely fascinating. And I'm excited to see, you know, what happens with her. That's the thing. That's the thing with like Enzo. I, I, my joke with Enzo is that, you know, they're basically villainizing someone like Mark Zuckerberg, Mm -hmm. who, who is a complete piece of shit in real life. Like, don't get me wrong. Like I, 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 I live close to Silicon Valley and I don't understand the appeal of, um, of Silicon Valley entrepreneurs that, that do these startups. Like they all have this, like this somewhat sociopathic aura to them because, you know, mm-hmm. they're driven by money. I mean, right now I've, I've been so fascinated with Elizabeth Holmes from Theranos that, you know, the, the, the failed startup that I was like, they, they're all the same. And they did that in Lupin with Enzo to the point where they tried to give, they tried to give Enzo a um, redemption arc, like five minutes towards the tail end of part five. And it's like, no, Mark Zuckerberg does not deserve a, <laughs> a redemption arc. No. Okay. And then if, uh, if you want an example of Enzo's whole thing done right, this is going to seem out of left field, but watch the DuckTales reboot. There's a character in that named Mark Beeks, who was originally going to be named Mark Zuckerberg. But <laughs> Oh, I yeah. get it now, I get it now, I get it now. <laughs> yeah, but I mean but yeah, I mean he's pretty much just a parody of all these, you know, tech giants mm-hmm. and all that. And because like I remember like well, actually I don't ever make things to him now, but it's like but yeah, Mark Beeks is you know, the whole thing with Enzo, but then right. Okay. Yeah. And also, everybody should just watch the 2017 DuckTales anyway. It's fantastic. Either way, like, I I do not find tech entrepreneurs um, fa- um, with the sociopathic aura as fascinating, even mm-hmm. though, again, I'm watching the dropout on Hulu. Um, I don't find them as fascinating as Tomoy, because yes. Tomoy straight up is a sociopath. Mm-hmm. And, and I'm not talking about, like, you know, she's on Cersei Lannister levels of sociopath. Yeah. Like, the thing that I found fascinating about Cersei Lannister in Game of Thrones was like, you know, she's a woman in a man's world. She was taught since she was little that like, you're a woman, you're going to have to marry, you know, you're going to have to marry a high ranking Lord, give birth to kids. And that's all you're ever going to do. Despite the fact that you come from a prominent political family, you're not going to do anything. And you see her as the, the queen mother and, 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 you know, and, and until like what they did with her in the series and, and, and how they fucked her up a little bit, it's just like, it's very fascinating to see that kind of character. And, and I compare that with Tomoe because, again, like I mentioned in the last episode, what is Tomoe up to? And then we get this resolve. Tomoe is very interesting. And, mm. and the fact that she's not, she loses no sleep at night using these women, not just to get to Lupin. Yeah, at the main of it, at the main core of it, it is to get to Lupin. But she's done things like make a young woman kill two men and then kill herself. Mm-hmm. Ma- make a maid take her place so she wouldn't she wouldn't die. Um, you know, me- like even Matea. Matea has um, has some bones to pick with Tomoy mm-hmm. over what happened to her because. You know these these women were all a means to her own end to get yep. Lupin, and, and that is very sinister. Yes, to use other people to gain what you want 
like that is true sociopathy in its in its form mm-hmm. so you're right drew like fuck enzo fuck mark zuckerberg <laughs> um lupon luponified you don't get a redemption arc no <laughs> I-, I think one of the most like haunting lines too is and she just says it so offhand is where she says that you know like they all followed the paths in life I gave them where you're like, Jesus, like it's this, like, th- like all these people's entire lives almost. Cause you, you get the impression she like trains them when they're very young. They like the entire course mm-hmm. of their life is just ruined. Well, not ruined, but it's just out of their hands. It, 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 it's, just, it's just like, yeah, because like, um, um, what's her name? Uh, Mattia, she, she pretty much asked Tomoe that she's like, is, you know, it was like, has my entire life up this point just been part of your plan? And Tomoe just mm-hmm. thought, yes, mm-hmm. it is. Ugh. You can almost equate it to like, um, to like, um, you know, you know, like you, this whole thing about like theater kids and theater parents and like stage moms, like, you know, those parents that like, or even like the moms that kind of force you to do something like piano for 10 years and then you find out you hate it. Like they kind of put all their insecurities and what, and their dreams onto you. And it makes you feel resentful towards them. Mm-hmm. Like, I don't know why I'm thinking this, but it's just like, it's the, it's this scenario times 10. Cause that heart, like I kind of felt a little bit of that heartbreak with Matea when she talks to Tomoy, like my whole life has been because of your bullshit. Yeah, practically. It's like when you have that conversation with your mom, like, so I only took piano because you made me take piano, not because I actually liked it. (laughs) I have issues. (laughs) (laughs) You know, you bring up Matea and like, I I mean, even Matea still has some stuff to answer for, for, you know, murdering Hazel in complete Mm -hmm. cold blood. And attempting to murder Ariana, so like, I, I, that's Heck, the thing we don't I, that, even know if Ari's alive. That, that, I think that's what's also inter- interesting about uh, Matea because, like, you know, she obviously has you know some shit to answer for for the murder and attempted murder. But like, mm-hmm. I also understand why she's doing what she's doing because she's someone who had her entire life dropped from her and then was immediately snapped out of it. You know, pretty much, I, I imagine sitting to a spiraling existential crisis for a hot minute and is now murdering people. So like, you know, I feel bad for her. I don't, Mm -hmm. what I'm trying to say is my opinion from last week has changed. I am no longer rooting for the train in that scene where it's sneaking up behind her. I feel more bad for her now. (laughs) (laughs) I retract my statement. So (laughs) you you retract your, so the only trains you cheer on now is Thomas the tank engine. Yes, that's it. That is now three times we've referenced Thomas. <laughs> <laughs> it was at this moment that Thomas had seen enough. <laughs> also, attempted murder. What is that? It's like, do they give out Nobel Prizes for attempted chemistry? <laughs> it's okay, a well, legal term. Let I us know. not I get was, I was, it. I was quoting The Simpsons. It's like everybody else is coming out, is coming out with all these pop culture references. I'm like, hold on. I can probably fit another one in real quick. <laughs> <laughs> no, um, I mean, the reason why I do so, I, I blame myself, you know, because like going back to what I've been taught in theater, well, more so in history, because when, when you take history, you're, you're taught to do like 
a lot of analytical and comprehensive and critical research. And, and a lot of it is very much like pulling from other sources. And again, this showrunner, I was, I remember talking about this with Guillaume, that this showrunner has done some other interesting um, series. Like, you know, both Guillaume and I are Detective Conan fans, and we're aware of this showrunner's notoriety with Detective Conan. Not notoriety, I mean, well, not notoriety, it's um, that they've worked on Detective Conan. And, you know, the way that they've handled this second series and how, like, you know, again, all the filler episodes connect, you know, connect to the main storyline, the appeal of Tomoe and even Matea, it's just, you know, it's very intriguing and it just reminds me of so many different other plot points and elements that it's like, again, my main, my main thing is how in the 50 years of this franchise, have we, have we not done a plot line with Lupin being a possible sleeper agent, let alone the possibility of having Lupin as a sleeper agent. Mm -hmm. And I love it. Like, I mean, it didn't, it didn't upset me as, as much as I thought it would with the reveal I just love how it was executed that I can't be mad at it, mm-hmm. you know? No, the, the, that whole aspect of, I think the way she words is, you know, my words alone can't unlock it. Like, and, and the whole aspect of him being multilingual and she's like, I, I specifically picked people of different nationalities so they would like say the word in their specific language to unlock it's fascinating. Like it's out of all the turns this could have took, that was not one I even remotely expected. And this is cool. Like mm-hmm. again, it, it it made up for because I'm not gonna lie, the the subject matter and the way stuff was depicted in the last episode almost lost me entirely from this series. I won't lie, like especially the more I thought about it. But this kind of wrote me back in because a it's darker, but it's not like grim dark as the last episode kind of teetered into it's it it, it it it's it's a lot more fascinating and more what's the word i'm looking for not mind-bending because it's not you know like something like revolutionary or just kind of like you know whoa but it is i like the cerebral nature of it which is cool and uh speaking of that um uh, i had mentioned in the last episode how the one thing that did pique my interest was the aspect of Tomoe's hypnosis and how it kind of dips into that area. I like Lupin to go in where, you know, it's kind of out there and kind of bonkers. And I appreciated the scenes in Lupin's like headspace when he's talking to Tomoe, these like surreal landscapes that Tomoe speaks to him in, particularly the last one where it's just like, it's like him at an angle laying on like these flowing sheets and her floating in front of him with all the like red clocks around him, which again, that is where I like my Lupin to go get a little, get a little crazy with it. So that kind of brought me back around to it on this episode. I know that was incredibly rambling, but it's a lot to take in. It's a lot to process. And I've only watched it twice. (laughs) No, I mean, I've been I've been rambling here myself. I mean, I will say this though, what I find interesting that might be that might be changed in the dub and I and I am looking forward to it especially because um you know, here's the thing. I don't know if y'all watch Black Lagoon, but uh season 2 of Black Lagoon did this thing where there were moments in cuz keep I'm talking about the the um 
the original Japanese dialogue, not the dub, obviously. They did this thing in season two where um, they had different characters speak in different languages in the Japanese um, that just was handled very clumsily in in the dub. Like a perfect example was um, the character Revy, who mainly speaks English, um, teams up with this Sam- with this guy that looks like Gogo Thirteen, who only speaks Japanese. And in in the Japanese itself, they have the Japanese voice actress for Revy talk in English, while the character the character who looks like Ogo Thirteen is completely in Japanese dialogue to emphasize on the fact that they don't speak the same language. Even though you know, in the show itself, because it's from Japan, Revy does talk Japanese because the dialogue is set in Jap in 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 Japanese. What I'm trying to say here is, will the English dub because this you know. Back to the poem, you know, Mercedes says the words in Spanish. Um, um, Mylene says it in French. Um, Adi says it in Italian. Um, what's her What's her cute name? Um, the um, fashion designer. Oh, um, Gabby. Yeah, Gabby says Gabby, it in, ger- in German. What? Yeah, your your wife. <laughs> was it German? I mean, was she the one saying it in German, or was it um, Amelia? Yeah, yeah. Amelia uh, said it in German. Yeah. Sorry. Gabby's was uh, Russian. Oh, Gabby's was Russian, Which, yes. That reminds me. I wonder if the fact that, you know, uh, Fuchiko's bestie was speaking German. Mm-hmm. I wonder if that could have been like a callback to the woman called Fujiko Mine, which suggested that Fuchiko was German at one point. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, even, maybe. Even Which though, is funny because Count Almaveda is a Portuguese name, but. And, you know, also the fact that. Fujiko Mine is clearly not German. <laughs> but true, but I mean, again, that's probably not her real name. It's been well, it's been mentioned no, it's probably but, not her real name. But the fact that nobody ever calls any attention to her name kind of makes you think that, you know, in the reality of this franchise, she probably looks Japanese. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, nobody ever questions that. So just like, yeah. you know, this clearly Japanese woman. Hey, she might be German. <laughs> no, I don't. I don't think so, but... <laughs> Well, we'll, um, uh, we'll stomp that gumbo when we get there. But not, but yeah, off that non secular. What I'm trying to say here is, what what I'm noticing with the poem is they didn't have the women actually say it in the languages. Not, um, they said it in Japanese. Um, will they do that for the dub? You know, like you get to the Mercedes episode, and when she says her part of the poem, will she say? El amor de madres. Will you get to the Mylene episode and will she say Le, bon, um, Le bono rivendra? Sorry, I'm still learning my French. Will Amelia say we're gohoren for ima zusmasim? <laughs> I don't think they will. I think they'll probably I hope just. So. I mean, I think they'll probably say it in English, but when they, but when this episode comes back, then they'll probably do it in their, yeah. in their tongue. Because okay. like, well, I, because, I because hope this so, franchise, I... this franchise in general seems to operate under the assumption that the characters are not speaking the language that you're listening to if you know because of how well traveled they are well yeah i mean it's like when i played where in time is carmen san diego you're not going to go back in time and actually speak ancient egyptian because no one not many people in the current era know what ancient egyptian sounded or or, or look like we just know through we just know via hieroglyphics and the rosetta stone but it's just it's just assumed though like i feel like the audience is supposed to assume that you know, the characters do know these languages and that's what they're speaking. It's just, it's translated for the audience's benefit. Like Star Trek. 
Well, it's yes. easier to it's easier to do it in in English than it is for for another language. I feel because English it's kind of like the the base international language. I mean, a lot of companies. Do, um, it's kind of like how Esperanto used to be the universal language until English took it over because of America and Great Britain and globalism. Well, um, I don't know. Esperanto is kind of a special case because I feel like Esperanto isn't as old as you're implying. Because no, it's just, I, I mean, it's I, originally, it, from a historical standpoint, originally the universal language was aiming to be Esperanto. But it was right, more so I, I in Europe. Like, I think like it was invented in like what, like the late nineteenth century. Yeah. Yeah, it's which personally I find Esperanto hilarious uh, for a variety of reasons. I just think about that William Shatner movie that he filmed entirely in Esperanto, which is an interesting experience. Oh yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I always tell people if you if you if you want a um if you if you want a um. If you want an example of of the the human fallacy, please watch that movie. <laughs> I mean, I always thought it'd be, I always thought it'd be kind of fun to translate my comics into Esperanto because absolutely nobody, myself included, is going to read them like that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and that alone is that alone is amusing for me. But yeah, I mean, it's easier to do it's easier to do this thing of like showing off other languages in English than it is in another language. Like mm-hmm. I. I I, I I immediately I immediately think of Overwatch and how like diverse the cast is when you're playing as different characters or when you're playing against different characters, you hear special techniques in in, in their native tongues. Like, you know, Genji's attack Genji and Hanzo's attack in Japanese, um Mercy's attack well, Mercy's ultimate and like the worst German ever, because it's not Swiss German. Yes, I will still nitpick over that. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, like I think it's I think just like like a, uh, I'm trying to think of an example uh, from part two. Let's say uh, the rose and the pistol. Yeah. Okay, I think it's probably safe to assume that most of the characters are speaking Spanish in that episode. Yeah. But you know the audience hears it in either Japanese or English or mm-hmm. Italian. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I think that's what they're going to do with the dub for this. It's like they're going to be speaking in English up until this until this episode where it's revealed what they were actually speaking. Okay. Yeah. No, it's just, it's just my thing. It's just, I, I would love that, that like at the end of the, the episodes, you know, they're saying it in the native tongue and then it all comes together, kind of giving it away, but not really giving it away. But yeah. I digress. Yeah, I, I, I feel like that's probably why they should avoid, you know, you know, doing that because it probably would uh, tip their hand a little too soon. Um, but hand. I do like that. Um, it's confirmed that Lupin's a polygot. <laughs> Go ahead, Joe. Oh, yeah. Like I said, oh. we always kind of assume it anyway. <laughs> I feel so bad for Lupin at the end of this episode because I wonder if, like, one of the things going through his head before Mateus shoots him is, like, you know, if, like, you know, it's been a while. You know, he had a rough time during part five. You know, it's like, man, it's been a while since I've been shot. And it's like, <laughs> because once again, <laughs> I do appreciate because I was worried for a minute. I was worried that we're going to pull the exact same part five thing where he gets shot, flies out the window, and it's like, did he die? I'm like, no, you don't. <laughs> I was, I was very appreciative of him like coming right back to the door, <laughs> and like, okay, thank God. <laughs> Another thing. <laughs> I, I keep, I, I laugh this whole, but this whole like, well, did he die though? Because <laughs> like, you know, to quote, to quote what Lucy said, we've seen this man on fire, <laughs> shot, arrow through him, like, fuck. You have to do better than that, Matea. <laughs> this man seems some shit. 
don't know why I just pictured like you know Luhan coming through the door, clutching his you know chest that just been shot, and then saying in the Juggernaut's voice, "Silly bitch, your weapons cannot harm me." <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I lose my shit with that because that's probably one of my favorite so old school <laughs> internet videos. <laughs> yes. Now I cannot see it. <laughs> You're welcome. Oh man, I, silly bitch! Your weapons cannot harm me. <laughs> I'm the juggernaut, bitch. Man, no, somebody's... more like you don't know who the fuck I am. I'm Lupin the Third, bitch. <laughs> actually, actually, actually I, I, I can hear Lupin saying that. <laughs> it's, like, it's like I was stabbed and shot at least seven times in the last series alone. You gotta do better. <laughs> Within the last three years. Oh lord. <laughs> Is Lupin still bleeding? Who I Is hope Lupin not. Lupin still bleeding. <laughs> Okay, so I actually do want to open up a question, like for some speculation. And obviously, mm-hmm. you know, speculation, you know, you you know, it ends up, you know, being whatever. But you know, this is a weekly podcast. This is our our weekly reactions. We're at the penultimate episode. I'm going to have, you know, I'm going to ask the same in the immortal words of Brad Pitt in Seven. What's in the box? What's in the box? <laughs> Another movie <laughs> reference I lose my shit with because I love that film. Oh, that's so same. <laughs> okay, so are you suggesting that spoilers for anyone who hasn't seen Seven? Are you suggesting that Tomoe escaped from Arsene Lupin's estate with the severed head of Gwyneth Paltrow? Oh God, <laughs> I, I don't think that's what he's implying. <laughs> I, I, I'm like like curious, like because because what could be in the box that proves Tomoe is his mother? Is it a broken condom? Where she's like, look, see. <laughs> This is why you're here. I'm glad, I'm, glad I wa- I'm glad I wasn't the only one thinking that. You were. <laughs> you guys are nasty. Oh. Oh, oh, I mean, I was I was thinking more pregnancy tests, but. <laughs> oh, I want to vomit now. Why would you keep a broken condom for fifty plus years? I mean, why would you make a bunch of people think that? this guy's your son you ruined a bunch of women's lives this woman's unstable <laughs> i'm just going by yeah clearly one of these things I mean, is worse than the other clearly but still oh that's disgusting <laughs> plus let's face it if, it if if it's a lupon family deal i'm pretty sure lupon the second would be one of those asshole men who would be like nah baby i ain't putting on a condom it don't feel good <laughs> yeah that tracks what <laughs> Yeah, that tracks. I'm I'm going oof, but you're right. I'm going oof because I mean, it's kind of it's kind of like a headcanon amongst the fandom, especially uh, us who write fan fiction. That Lupin the Second is a scumbag, and well, yeah, it is is canon for those of us that read the uh, you know Lupin's early years in the manga. No, that's where that's where it comes from. Yeah, I know. Although he he did seem, he did seem to mellow out with age though, He's, he seems Unlike to be a, seems to be a real real dickhead. No relation. <laughs> no relation. That no we relation. know of because that we know about. <laughs> okay, so see see now I need to figure out where Lily Watson fits in on this family tree. <laughs> Lily Watson is a Tomoe student. <laughs> I knew it. Back to the box. I was right all along. Um, I, I do wonder what's in it aside from the nasty jokes y'all made. But I, I do wonder if it's also just another MacGuffin. Yeah, probably. Yeah, it would not it would not surprise me. It would disappoint me slightly, but it wouldn't surprise me if we never find out what's inside the box. 
What if, now hear me out for speculation and funsies purposes. What if inside the box is just embarrassing photos of Lupin at the Christmas party? <laughs> SpongeBob SquarePants, secret box. Nobody? I remember, I remember. A secret string. <laughs> yeah, a secret string. Cut up, it's a secret compartment. <laughs> <laughs> but um, I, I really do think there's nothing in there. I think it's a MacGuffin because again, I really don't think that she is his mom mm. because I like to think that the writers are adding, um, are keeping up with the ambiguity of Lupin's um, heritage mm-hmm. and that maybe he's a grandson of, Ar- of Arsene Lupin. Maybe it's just a title, you know, like you know, that's that what I love I about the like characters. About huh? That was actually one thing I did appreciate about part five. No, me I, too. I, I mm-hmm. kind of leaned into that a little bit. Yeah. Yeah, the whole like face, was, the whole faceless man theory. I, I like it. Yeah, like I like that too. I mean, mm-hmm. I do. I will admit, I love it when there is shout outs to the pos- to the whole like connection of Lupin and Ars and Arsene Lupin by Marie Sleblanc, oh, yeah. even if it has a familial tie to it. But I also like the ambiguity of it because it opens up the door for fanfic writers like myself. Oh, uh, you know, like I said a few weeks ago, it's like. This whole series began as a fanfic. Yeah. Yep. A crossover fanfic of that. But um, what if inside Tomoe's box is a statue, a small statue of a falcon? A... From Malta. Probably the most famous MacGuffin in history. Indeed. Indeed. <laughs> this, is but, stu- um, this is stuff dreams are made of. Yeah. This <laughs> is what dreams are made of. Leave me alone. Um... <laughs> Either way, um, I think I think also one of the things I do really want to talk about is, um, oh my goodness, the thing that tugged at my heartstrings with Lupin, Jigen, with Jigen, Goemon, Fujigo, and even Zenigata to an extent, trying to bring back Lupin out of his, you know, snap him out of his hypnosis, and mm-hmm. this whole thing of like, you know, we've discussed it in several episodes, and it's like. One of the things that we're really enjoying with the progression of the characters, especially for part six, is very much, you know, the the groundedness of the relationship with um, the Lupin gang. Part five really did this thing that did irritate me of like, you know, the whole thing of like, what am I to you with, with each mm-hmm. of the characters, with the exceptions of, of Jigen and Zenigata to a lesser extent. It was more with um, Fujiko and Guaymon. But I love how... You know, we get this nice shift in um, in episode zero, um, the Jigen centric episode. We see the we see this thing of like, you know, the joke of like going on very much being for found family, and even like um, Fujiko, Jigen, and Zenigata having these moments of like, you know, why would you want to leave Lupin? We're all kind of like in this together, so weirdly enough, and. I don't know this is the way that it just tugged at my heartstrings how like Jigen goes you know you're like my first partner you know that right mm-hmm. and Goemon's like you know trying his own way to bring back Lupin and oh my god the kiss scene the oh. kiss scene between Fujiko and, and Lupin like the one where she kisses him first like out of desperation and then the second time to kind of like snap snap him out of it mm-hmm. and it's like oh. you know, I kind of don't I kind of don't want to say this, but I couldn't help but think that if Monkey Punch was writing that scene, it wouldn't have been his mouth that she had kissed to try to bring him out of it. Are, are we yeah, saying... Um... Yeah. Although, I mean... 
beep, 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 beep. Um, I, I think I need to go back to sex ed. Okay, mom, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I mean, she probably would try kissing his mouth first. You know, I mean, if this, was, if this was a monkey punch story. Well, true, but also, you know, going back to like, um, uh, Fujiko's unlucky days, the Columbus Files, how Lupin, you know, tries to knock. Fu- I mean, he's done it so many times with Fujiko that it's always, almost always been a kiss. And when it's tried to have been the attempt of like, um, of like, of sex, um, he would feel uncomfortable and, and, and be very gentlemanly oh, yeah. about it. Mm-hmm. He did yeah, do okay. that with, in, in Farewell to Nostradamus. And Nostradamus, it was a kiss. Um, but I love how the roles were reversed and Fujiko's trying, but mm-hmm. you know. Yeah, I, did, I, I didn't actually, I didn't actually consider that being a role, a role reversal. But you're, you're totally right. It is. Yep. I, I literally That's just neat. thought that because I was like, it's been, it's happened so many times with Fujiko where Fujiko's like not in her right mind. Again, she lost her memory. Columbus Files. Um, she's under some kind of like electronic hypnosis. Um, Farewell to Nostradamus. And each time Lupin kisses her to snap her out of it, it doesn't work. But mm-hmm. it is one hundred percent worth a try. Yeah, because yep. dem lips do. I I also appreciate after that scene, like it, it's a pretty heartbreaking scene. But I love how it like it gives Fujiko even more resolve to figure out what's going on. Where she like you know goes back to the hideout, knowing that Jigen and Goemon are going to show up, and she like what's that line of dialogue where she says you know like it. Some, uh, someone stole her treasure and she's going to slap him in the face when she sees him again. And then Jigen's like, well, I don't know if I agree with all of that, but I agree with the slapping him in the face part. <laughs> Which was... Yeah. I, their family dynamic is so wonderful it's that they're beautiful. like, no, I mean, I get I get you, boo, but go ahead and slap him because if you don't do it, I'm going to do it. Like, Jigen fucking pistol whipped him to try to get him, you know... um to, to try to snap him out of it. Mm-hmm. And it's like, ow. Gotta hurt. Because I don't know if you've ever like shot a gun, let alone a, um, a pistol uh, as heavy as a 357. Those those suckers are heavy, especially oh, at the base. Like to to imagine you getting hit in the head with it. Oh, no, 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 no. no. Oh, th- well, no, thank you. At the same time, Lupin the Third is no stranger to being hit in the head. No, I know, but like, <laughs> ow. There's there's a chapter of the manga where at one point he gets like dropped from a hide and he says, like, excuse me, Mr. Monkey Punch, I would really appreciate it if I stopped being dropped on my head. <laughs> oh, yeah. I, I always love the breaking of the fourth wall between oh, him, yeah, so him and Monkey Indeed. Punch. It's so wonderful. Um, but it brings um, back to context the, the ending theme. Bitter Rain. Oh, you're right. Yeah, because like we haven't much talked about the lyrics of that yet, have we? And again, the lyrics not necessarily aren't the lyrics, but just like, yeah. Well, I mean, you could if you want to bring up the lyrics, go right ahead. But like, see. think think of how the think of what the scene evokes. You know, the the ending theme, let alone um, the um the scenes. Like, one of the perfect examples of ending themes with with Lupin that has context. Like, part, this is where part five gets like a gets like a green card in my book. Because like part five with um with Adu, there is clearly a set story within that and within that ending scene. It's basically this whole possibility of Lupin and Fujiko trying to settle down and 
they're together, they're intimate, but she leaves him because she probably realizes, Hey, we can't really be domesticated. Mm-hmm. Um, that's how, that's how I've seen it. And with this one, I mean like, so the first half you have milk tea, which literally just looks like something cutesy to kind of like make us forget how bad the Sherlock Holmes storyline is. Mm-hmm. Um, and clearly, and clearly a shout out in reference to like to sixties mod films um, mm-hmm. from great Britain, such as stuff like um, Pink Panther and also to a lesser extent, um, the Avengers, not the Marvel Cinematic Universe right, Avengers, right. but like the one with Emma Peel, rest in peace, Diana Rigg, Queen. Legend. And um, legend, Elena Tyrell, legend. Anyways, with this one, with Bitter Rain, what what, what confounded me about this the ending scene, not just in the lyrics, but the scene itself, you see Fujiko driving and she's making a phone call in a phone booth and she leaves a rose-shaped ring a ring facet um, in the phone booth. Why do I get this feeling that this scene was immediately after the kiss? Maybe Ooh. she made a phone call to like Jigen and Goimon yeah. or to somebody else Thanks. and was like, she has this different resolve on how she's going to help her man. Yeah. You know? I like that. That's neat. I like that yeah, a lot. me too. Yeah, the, Thank you. Yeah, I, 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 I just came up with it. <laughs> and, and to a much lesser extent, uh, because this seems to be a recurring theme tonight for me, mm-hmm. I wonder if, uh, you know, the weather is a reference to that episode of part one. You know, rainy afternoons are dangerous. The, the one we had to do it, do uh, like three different recordings of our review. Yeah. For. Yeah. The, 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 Again, I'm probably, I'm probably reading too much into it, but then again, with this episode, you know, the title of this one evoking one of the worst episodes of part one. That was a mm-hmm. choice. So it certainly was. So I'm just wondering if I made that extends to the, uh, to the rain and the uh, ending credits. Probably not, but it's one to think so about. So did you find the lyrics? Drew? Yeah. So the lyrics are pretty much just, you know, sad song, rain, tears. Like it's the rain is washing the city. I'm left behind, wash away everything, even the love left behind in my heart. Ah, the ring I took off. It's the only thing that's shining. It's raining just like that day. It's pouring hard. The rain that washes away my memories are turning. Uh, the rain that washes away my memories are turning into tears. So, fitting, fitting. Also, I will point out when I was searching this, I almost hit search on butter rain, not bitter rain. I'm glad I caught that <laughs> <laughs> because that would have been <laughs> butter rain. A very, a very different result. <laughs> It could it could have been chocolate rain. Oh no! I can't believe it's not bitter. Chocolate rain. Some, oh, just imagine the ending theme. Just imagine the ending theme for Loop on the Third Part Six for this half was just chocolate rain because it would fit too. Some stay dry and others feel. You better believe it. <laughs> All right, I can't believe it's not bitter is officially the title of this episode. <laughs> it's not bitter. Man, um, I am on fire. <laughs> so we haven't talked about it much yet. We referenced it earlier, and it's not Festivus yet, but I'm going to go ahead and air my grievances with um, uh, um, Moriarty showing up. Because, boy, if you mm. could have heard... If you could have heard the audible fuck off I yelled when Big Ben showed up on the screen, 
because I knew it was coming. <laughs> Me too. And like, no, like, uh, because Jigen addresses Sebastian Moran, and he's like, you know, moron. I'm moron. like, you, you got that right, uh, because uh, <laughs> <laughs> all. Here's my thing, and and, and this is the, the, this is my biggest issue with it. It's a. This is completely the Sherlock arc. Let us not and say we never did. For God's sake, I <laughs> those episodes don't exist to me personally. How like you know the first half was just fun one-off dips into literary themes and references. I mean, there was that one episode where Jigen helped a little girl that they talked about, and Sherlock Holmes showed up. That was interesting. Odd. Nothing ever came of that. Um, but the thing that bugs me the most about Moriarty showing up is a, it just feels cheap. It was distracting and all of his exposition could have been given to Albert and Albert's inclusion in this series could have been meaningful yeah. because and, Albert got done dirty. Know. That's good vernacular. Oh no, I agree. Like, yeah. it, <laughs> and, it, 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 <laughs> It's like Albert is is in the same is in the same realm of PyCal of their return being you know like like why do you massacre my boy? Because mm-hmm. again, as much as I love Return of PyCal, I really do feel like they really did my boy dirty and bringing back one of the most notable villains of the Lupin franchise right. with Albert, whom I love not just because of the queer representation, but because I do think that little shit is a fascinating character and you're going to do him dirty. Yep. I mean, I, I still say that after that, uh, what was it? The second story arc of part five, they really should have just not have Albert appear again after that, because Mm. as much as I like the character, he did not, he really didn't have much to do after that one. They they need to write him better if they're going to keep using him. I, yeah. I, I will admit, I did like the, the the possibility of him being brought back because, you know, he wanted to utilize Shake Hands' operation mm-hmm. to help him control France. And it's like, yeah, that's my little megalomaniac boy. Yes. Like, that's, yeah. how, that's how much I love him. I even have the poster of him with Lupin hanging in my kitchen. Like, that's how much I love him. Like, I love him. <laughs> Going back to what you were saying, Drew, you know, about your two points involving uh, Moriarty. I feel like it's worth pointing out that his inclusion kind of means that we can't dismiss the first half of the series. I can. We don't talk about Sherlock. Die on this hill. We don't talk about Sherlock. Okay, but the thing is, it's like you know, including him is like you know, it's like the, let's see. I feel like if you wanted to watch just the second half of the series. You know, before Moriarty showed up this week, you know, you could probably do that and not have to worry about, you know, much. Mm-hmm. I forgot words. I forgot how to yeah, words. It, it, I'm a writer, damn it. This is weird. Unfortunate. Be- for that reason, it's my least favorite part of this episode, like, hands down. Because what what, what oh, yeah. a nice standalone part now has some, like, little bullshit Easter egg in it. Where it's like, hey, remember this guy? I'm like, I wish I didn't because you always showed him to me for two seconds. I'm supposed to care? (laughs) It's sort of like Lupin III versus Detective Conan, the movie. Yep. Mm -hmm. It's like, you know, know, it's a a fun little, I mean, it's not great, but it's it's a fun little movie. And then you get to the very end, which hinges on you having watched the TV special. Mm -hmm. While conscious. Mm -hmm. And that's... 
And honestly, it's like, I do like that movie, but that that ending kind of kills it for me. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, the the thing of it is, when I watched the um, the finale of the Sherlock arc, I was ki- I kind of tuned it out. Um, again, I watched it at, at the airport, not even a couple hours before I boarded my flight on Christmas Day. So I watched it just for the sake of finishing it up, and I found it interesting. Like I, I found it interesting when I watched the ending, and and you you see the the post credit scene of um of this kid who's part of the Baker, you know, the, the Baker street boys, mm-hmm. um, another de- detective reference. And, and, you know, he, he is professor Moriarty. And I'm like, really? Like, <laughs> really? And, and I didn't think about it until I rewatched the episode with Guillaume and I'm just like, Holy shit. Okay. So he is Moriarty, but why is this kid that looks like, you know, the petite prince <laughs> Moriarty. And it's like, I, I, you know, when when you do something like that, when you do an end credit scene like that and you mention that character, I thought it was just in the vein of Lupin, like, this is just a fun thing that we're going to put in here. We're never going to bring him back. It's never going to happen. And yet suddenly you bring him back. And I'm with you, Drew. Like, once I saw Big Ben, I was like, no, 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 no. <laughs> I was with, I was with Lupin. I was with Lupin in the realm of I never want to see you again. Yep. I never want to see you again either, Sherlock. Like, fuck you. And, hey. and then you get to Big Ben and then you see fucking Moriarty. And it's like, why are we getting his help? Why? Uh, and also, like, why is he a child? That's a good question. And Lupin's like, we go way back. And I'm like, uh what when he was a fetus <laughs> yeah that's what i want to say when he was swimming in the testicles or something like we go back that way no i am so confused like america explain <laughs> what if what if lupin's moriarty's father uh what I, if no what if lily no, watson's moriarty's no, sister no. <laughs> Ew, okay, okay i'm worse. sorry i'm sorry i didn't <laughs> What was I thinking? Sorry. No, 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 no. I am confusion and I don't like this. <laughs> Moriarty is uh, Lestrade's, not, not, no, not Watson's son in that case, which um, I got to figure out how to fit the dickheads in here somewhere to make it all full circle. Anyways. Um, I say, trying to figure out how to fit the dickheads in here. That's what she said. All I know is that if sherlock comes back in the next episode i am going to scream i will disown part six so fast (laughs) no like i am in i am legit in this realm of like sherlock is bruno to me we do not talk about him i am emphatic about this if sherlock shows up in like the last half of this it's gonna be the equivalent of like the uh the jar like the the gungans that got added to return of the jedi where i'm like no 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 oh yeah (laughs) you here (laughs) get out (laughs) nobody wanted you um but like all joking aside like imagine all of moriarty's dialogue given to albert because like you can imagine the lupine gang or Jigen and Goemon going to France and Albert talking about like, you know, there's that one line, there's that one line of dialogue where it's like, you know, you know, isn't it like, you know, doesn't it fascinate you? Like, you know, un- like figure finding out the roots of Lupin the third. It's like, I'm curious because that'd be so because it, it's, it's never been fully solidified 
that they're actually related. It's a mantle that's passed down. And like Albert's finally mm-hmm. like, you know, I, I just, I, I pictured Albert saying all those lines. And then I got sad because it was this stupid, small Moriarty who hopefully never shows up ever again. And was just used as a throwaway <laughs> Easter egg to be like member, which as yeah. if this franchise doesn't go member enough. It's like, yeah. it has to get for shit that happened. Remember? At least it usually does it with a good movie. Exactly. Movie. But again, like, it would have made more sense if it was Albert trying to help find yep. Lupin, honestly. He has more stakes uh, as in it. To, um, yeah, as opposed yeah, to um, Moriarty. And, and, and Moriarty's like, Moriarty's like, I can't lose it now. He's playing a big part in my criminal, like, what was it? like? It's like my criminal underworld or criminal plan or something. It makes more sense for Albert to say that given where he ended in part five, because then part more, five yeah. was like, then Moriarty. It's so simple. <laughs> Apparently it's not. Again, we will be bitching about this all evening, but like, <laughs> that's my grievance. If they do a part seven and they bring back. No, if they do a part seven and they bring back Sherlock and Moriarty, I am going to like, I'm gonna be in that vein of the social medias of like fuck this. I ain't, I'll watch it for the sake of watching it, but I'm I'm not gonna I'm gonna be like Bob and Bob's Burgers. Like okay, I'll do it, but I'm gonna be complaining the whole time. <laughs> and I'll, I'll save it for next week's finale discussion since we're already kind of running a little long here. But I'm hoping with part seven mm-hmm. we just ditch this continuity because it's been nice. But I'm ready for something new. But I'll save my elaboration on that for another time. Yeah, I mean, in, in, in the, at the core of it, um, also, um, yeah, I, I think we've touched upon a lot of the good points so far, mm-hmm. um, you know, in terms of, like, talking about the episode in general, Tomoe's appeal, um, the bringing back of the SSK. Does anybody yeah. have any other points to round that off? It was nice to see the best Lupin car again. That was just delightful. Yeah. I also liked him uh, in that little no, scene. That, that was that was clearly not an Alfa Romeo. No. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the the Alfa Romeo. The Alfa Romeo's probably the one it's, I love the most. Yeah, of this. It's, it's not it's I, the best. It's a good car. It's like a pimp car. SSK, but it's not the best. It's a pimp car, let's be real. SSK is my favorite. Um, but the, <laughs> what, what was really nice was um the shot of Lupin's garage, because like, I can't name them all, but I know the, uh, the Renault from part five was there with a little racing stripe on it. Mm-hmm. And the, mm-hmm. and it's name escapes me, but the little blue convertible he drives in the opening of first contact was right beside where the SSK would have been parked. It kind of, you kind of just mm-hmm. barely catch it like in the corner of the screen, but that was a nice little touch. So it, it was nice Isn't to that- see some previous Lupin cars there. Wasn't the uh, the car that the Count's men were driving at the beginning of Cagliostro in there as well? I think I, so, yeah. I think so, yeah, yeah. That's weird. That's a weird, that's a weird thing to hold on to. Yeah, it is, especially, especially after destroyed it. Yeah, I know, because <laughs> like, well, he, well, he shot the tire out, and then they swerve and like smash into that rock. Man, they like put a lot of work into restoring that. Jigen's like, turn around. I need to get. A, I need to get my souvenir. <laughs> that's, that's the whole thing we didn't see. <laughs> Honestly, I. I can I can I can totally see Kelly Ostrojigin doing that. I could that I, I get that's what happened because you know there's that whole moment where um there's a whole moment where like you know Jigen gets out of the car and Lupin's in the Fiat and like you know he has to catch 
Clarice and all that stuff. You know, Jigen has to repel down. Like in that whole meantime, Jigen's just like running back, pulling the car out, like <laughs> <laughs> driving a rickety, just beating up old car. Like I'm, a, I can fix him. <laughs> Honestly, it's it's not out of character for that version of him. It's not. He's getting old. He's tinkering with cars. Exactly. I figured that's it with that point so, there. So, yeah. Does anybody else have any um, any other points till we close out for the evening? I think about said my piece as far as what I liked and didn't like. I went through my notes, so I'm good. Because it's interesting. I don't know if uh, you guys know this, but um, it's so sad that last week um, Guillaume couldn't join us for a review. Um, something about a golden mask came and kidnapped him, but little does he know that it was just a memory I implanted in him. <sighs> um, because, uh, let's just say when you consider el amor de madres, this unchanging love and unshakable spirit, you know, when your heart is on fire, when ni sheng xian wo de yi ke, wur ger hon fur emo zusamen, le bonne rivendra, ware lifte, amore eterno. Hello again, Lupantic folks. Welcome back to Ladies' Night for my review of both episode 22 and 23. I apologize for my absence from last week. I I was away. I I don't really remember what happened. Um, something about gold masks? Anyway, we are getting close to the series finale, and I must say the direction of both episodes is quite daring. Episode 22 is a bit of a hybrid, as it is a guest-written standalone that does connect with the main Tomoe arc. The episode's double nature is enhanced by its narrative structure and editing that alternates between the Lady du Jour Finn, Lupin and Mattia. The episode also plays with timelines as Finn goes back to her late mother's house in a northern country where Aurora Borealis shines through the night sky. Finn found a series of audio tapes from her mother and she tries to reconstruct her mother's last days on Earth by listening to them. The episode's tone, themes and tropes are very reminiscent of modern horror movies, especially Scandinavian ones. We have a remote location, found footage in a form of audio cassettes, the discreet presence of modern technology with Finn's social media report that Lupin and Mattia use to locate her, and the horror comes in great part from wounds of the past and family secrets. We learn that Finn's mother had Tomoe as a tutor, who tried to open some repressed memories, sadly leading to the poor woman's death after giving birth to Finn. It is strongly implied that Finn's mother was assaulted by a high school boyfriend, the jock, who might very well be the father. Both contenders for the mother's heart argued while she was on the telephone, and the jock gets shot in the cafeteria by a clearly mind-controlled girl that will soon turn the gun against herself. The scene is short and voluntarily confusing, but also very reminiscent of real-life school shootings, which understandably rubbed my American co-host the wrong way. 
I consider school shootings as, sadly, a part of our history and modern world, just like deepfakes, political corruption or high-tech surveillance. This episode, being written as a modern horror tale, including those aspects, made sense to me. The revelation behind her mom's trauma put Finn into a panic state, giving her an anxiety attack that could be fatal. Lupin, who arrived on the scene along with Jigen and Goemon, is just on time to save Finn and give her flowers to her birthday. While it is consistent with Lupin's more gentleman-like ways, it also feels a bit like a cop-out compared to the very grim scenes we just witnessed. But it is also hard to trust everything Finn heard, since the editing implies Tomoe staged this reveal on top of mind-controlling the shooting girl. We cannot trust what we heard. Maybe this horror story was partially Tomoe's fabrication, though her motivation remains unclear. Misandry, maybe? Yeah, seems a bit too simplistic, but who knows? Meanwhile, Inspector Zenigata is pursuing Matthias' trail after her attack on Aliana. We get a cameo from Lin Feng, who gives Matthias' location to Zenigata thanks to her supercomputer. It was a nice way to connect previous episodes while taking advantage of Lin Feng's experience with the ICPO. On his way to Finn's house, Zenigata finds Lupin and the episode ends there. Let's jump right into episode 23 as it starts where we left things off. After listening to Aliana's recorded message before passing out, Lupin starts to act strange, as under a spell, repeating a poem robotically and attacking his friends. Some viewers suspected that the plot would include a Manchurian candidate twist, and they were right. If you don't know what a Manchurian candidate is, it's a popular term coming from the eponymous novel that describes a dormant agent whose commands are activated by a series of words embedded in his subconscious. The novel was famously adapted into a movie with Frank Sinatra. This form of mind control was rumored to have been achieved by the Chinese and the Russians during the Cold War. This belief in the power of mind control started the infamous CIA project MKUltra, where hundreds if not thousands of unknowing participants were subjected to psychotropic drugs and mental torture in the vain attempt to create the perfect form of suggestion. The perfect spy. Today, we still don't know the scope of that horrific operation, but needless to say, its reveal kick-started the conspiracy mania we observe today. Except that the MKUltra project was real. Mind control isn't new in the Lupin franchise, but it is rare to see it executed with such seriousness and having it be integral to the plot. Lupin escapes his friends and goes to find his mother. Mattia follows him as her goal is to kill Tomoe. We then get a series of alternating scenes between Lupin's hallucinations of Tomoe, sweet-talking to him, stating that she is her real mother, and the scenes in the real world where Goemon, Fujiko and Jigen all try to get Lupin back. We get a fun cameo of Moriarty, helping solidifying the continuity between the two halves, while Fujiko tries to break Lupin's mind control by kissing him, both tenderly and desperately, while the rain falls like in the ending animation. It's a beautiful, heartbreaking scene, where Fujiko shows her affection and claims ownership over her man. To no avail. 
Driving the mythical Mercedes-Benz SSK, Lupin arrives to Mahiko village in Japan, where Tomoe, now elderly, resides. Zenigata found the location thanks to a bit of help from his prisoner Mercedes and a bit of deduction. Zenigata might not have had a lot of time to shine in this series, but when he did, it felt like it mattered. Lupin's hallucinations start to change, with the background becoming blood red and him staying in black and white, exactly like the teaser poster for part 6. Yes, you heard it right, this episode actually justifies the marketing of the series. Mattia barges in, interrupting Lupin and Tomoe's supposedly heartfelt reunion, and she shoots the thief. Tomoe then reveals her method. She knew Lupin would come to learn many languages and also be partial to the ladies. Language forming thought, she trained women from all over the world to eventually meet Lupin and say one line of the mind-controlling poem to him until it triggers the programming. Mattia herself regained memories of her assassin training back in episode 13 when she got knocked out by debris making this the deadliest case of bunk in the head in the history of this trope. But of course, Lupin isn't dead, as he made sure that no vital point was touched by Matthias' bullet. And the episode ends on Lupin's mischievous grin, one that could mean many things. You probably guessed it by now, but I really enjoyed both episodes. While Finn's story might be a confusing one and lose some of its audience by its serious subject matter, it was still well put together with a gripping atmosphere and direction. Episode 23 continued with the unsettling feeling in a very different way, making us doubt of what is real or not, and more importantly, tying all the threads of the second half together. The writer shows competence in staging a plot and making even the standalone episodes matter. You know, like a good showrunner. It was also very nice to see and hear all the female characters speak in their native language. The idea of using Lupin's polyglot abilities as well as his weakness for women is both a statement of the character and his international success. Now the question we are all asking ourselves is whether Tomoe is Lupin's real mother. I highly doubt it and I know I'm not alone in the sentiment. Considering what we know of Tomoe's personality, she seems more than willing to lie and manipulate, especially if it means to take control of the greatest thief in the world. I'm sure the final episode will show us how Lupin defeated Tomoe's programming, something you can already feel as he refuses to outright say, I love you, mother, deflecting the question. Overall, Lupin the Third Part 6 is starting to really, truly put itself together. Its strange rhythm seems justified, and while I must curb my enthusiasm, I'm looking forward to the conclusion and see how Lupin gets out of this. Because... Let's face it, that was always his greatest appeal. That's all for me, Lupantic folks. See you next time, and remember... Wait, what is that? I hear a poem, I... I must go now. Mama calls me. She wants me to wear it again. The golden mask. Meanwhile... You can find me on Twitter at William Barbet, B-A-B-E-Y.
on divan dart and art station as Shinred Deer, S H I N R E D D E A R. And you can even commission me or send me a tip on my coffee, also under Shinred Deer. I'm coming, Mama. Longing, rested, furnace, daybreak, 17, benign. Oh, wait, that's a different movie. (laughs) (laughs) Wrong franchise. (laughs) Wrong franchise. Sorry, Disney. Please don't kill me. (laughs) Um, On that note, my social media plugs. um, Don't worry. I promise I will not control you guys to listen to us. But my social media plugs are... um, Twitter at Captain at Capley Helsing, C-A-P-L-I-H-E-L-L-S-I-N-G. On Instagram at Captain Lee Helsing. So Captain spelled out C-A-P-T-A-I-N-L-I-H-E-L-L-S-I-N-G. Um, Chris, where can we find you in your webcomic? Oh, you can find me on Twitter if you know, you're so inclined at Dr. Furball, D-R-F-U-R-B-A-L-L. Um, you can find me most other places at Amazing Chris Godby, the G O D B E Y. You can find my comics at weirdinacan.com and drawocoward.com. And Drew, where can we find you and, of course, our podcast? Well, uh, you can find me on Twitter at DrewHunter15. That's D R E W H U N T E R 1 5. And uh, you can find our podcast on Twitter. At Lupin Pod, that's L U P I N P O D. You can find us on Instagram at the same at, and you can listen to us on SoundCloud, Spotify, and Apple Podcasts. And if you're listening to us on Apple Podcasts, feel free to scroll on down and uh, consider the five star review. However, unlike uh, my co host Natalie, I am not opposed to making to for I am not opposed to forcing you to give us a five star rating. So in that case, <clears throat> a mother's love, unchanging love, an unshakable spirit, my heart is on fire. I will dedicate everything I have to you. We will be together forever. Return to happiness, true love, eternal love. Rate the show, damn it. Thank you. <laughs> I'm sorry, could you repeat that? <gasps> I am gonna go, mother. I'm kidding, I'm kidding, kidding. I am leaving, mother. I will do your bidding. Oh shit, I should have muted my mic. No, wait, Natalie, wait! <laughs> <laughs> oh no, Anna. I mean Natalie. Oh, uh, okay. What was that? I'm sorry. I blocked out for like five seconds. I'm just remembering the time my ex-boyfriend would talk about MK Ultra, and I blacked out. <laughs> I mean, it was weird. You got all edge lord on us for a moment. I'm sorry. Uh, I'm sorry about that. I always knew that because I'm a Reaper main. So <laughs> I'm kidding. <laughs> and on that note, indeed. Have a good night, Lupontic folks. See you next episode. Bye. Bye. Next time on Sideburns and Cigarettes. The epic conclusion to Lupin the Third Part 6. 24 weeks later, folks. 
and hopefully the answer to the question that's on everyone's mind. Oh, what's in the box? What's in the fucking box? Mama, ooh, I don't want to die. I sometimes wish I'd never been born at all. Carry on, carry on. There's nothing that really matters.